One of the things Montanans overwhelmingly favor is access to our beautiful open lands. We are lucky in Montana to have these landscapes close and accessible. Come along on today's Nature Journal podcast to learn all about the efforts to keep our lands open to all. Hi, and welcome to the FBCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We are coming to you from the beautiful campus of Flathead Valley Community College at the foot of the Swan Mountain Range of Northwest Montana. I'm John Fraley, longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college, and I also served 40 years with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Our producer is the talented Colin Burkhart, and thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Today we welcome Jim Williams, who is an expert on land conservation. He's retired from Fish, Wildlife, and Parks and now works for the Heart of the Rockies Initiative. Jim, thanks a lot for coming on. You bet, John. Now, Jim, you are uh, kind of a high-energy guy, and <laughs> we are so glad that you're working with an agency that's going to, or an NGO that's going to help us conserve land. So tell us a little bit about the difference between working for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks and then going into this, this land agency, this NGO. Yeah, so, yeah, no, it's it's actually quite liberating being in the <laughs> private sector. Uh, government has its constraints. I loved every day of work and 30 years. and But, you know, you're, you're a public servant and you're accountable to multiple layers of, of public entities from the governor to directors to legislators. And I loved it all. But in the private sector, you can be very agile, move quickly, be creative, and exercise ideas on a much uh, faster pace. And and frankly, in the world of conservation, the pace needs to be fast. Mm-hmm. And you know, let's let's talk a little bit about the the value of open lands first. And then we'll get into the specifics that you do. It's every survey that's ever taken. Montana's highly favor access to public lands or access to conserved lands. And I don't think I've ever seen a survey that didn't show that as one of the top outdoor desires of people. And you've probably really ran in, run into that now with working for the Heart of the Rockies Initiative, right? Yeah, in, in our democracy in this country, you know, if you think about it, if everyone with or without means can play, then everyone cares. If only a certain class of people have access to play in the outdoors, only a certain class of people are going to care. So, you know, providing open space, providing a working landscape with people on that landscape to produce food and support wildlife, providing access where we can on private land or and maintaining it on public lands is critical for everyone caring about the conservation of our natural resources. And we're going to talk about some specifics, but it reminds me, listening to you talk about that, it it reminds me of Bob Marshall and Theodore Roosevelt. They were both very much populist and really believed strongly in the access to lands for everyone. You know, Marshall wanted the wilderness to be for the everyday person. And, of course, Theodore Roosevelt, the democracy of hunting. So those two kind of almost started it, wouldn't you say, in a way? Yeah, land and and land conservation and and management of land of course goes back you know thousands of years with the tribes and the first nations in this country and yeah and it's evolved steadily through those landmark legislative efforts whether it's the wilderness act whether it's creating public lands whether it's creating the ability to do a conservation easement on private land that's a property right yeah they they they're all related really 
And before we get, we're talking a lot of generalities here. Uh, why don't you give us one specific example of, of a land deal that you helped facilitate that's going to go into perpetuity? Yeah, one of the things, you know, I'm most proud of, at Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, we had a team that worked very closely with the Trust for Public Lands. And the lands that were corporate timberlands, formerly Plum Creek, that turned into Weyerhaeuser, that subsequently Southern Pine Plantation, SPP Montana purchased, and then Stimson, and then Green Diamond came in and purchased some of those. Those all could have been subdivided, sold, turned into exclusive neighborhoods, golf courses, lands that formerly everyone in Northwest Montana enjoyed would have been closed, are now under option for a conservation easement, which uh, prevents subdivision, but maintains the working landscape for forestry, logging, but also public access for everyone, whether you're rich or poor, in perpetuity. You know, you mentioned the Trust for Public Lands, and we were talking a little while ago about the one small interaction I had with them as I, I took them down the Middle Fork to the Josephine Duty bootleg lady uh, property of 120 mm -hmm. acres over in Glacier Park. And they ended up buying that and then giving it to Glacier Park. So now we own the bootleg ladies area over there, plus her homestead. <laughs> so that's a good example of how it is. that was actually in private ownership, and now it it's is. Glacier Park. And give us one more example of, that you can think of that you've been working on. Yeah, the Trust for Public Lands is amazing. I, I guess another one of our members at Heart of the Rockies is Flathead Land Trust, a local one. They focused on, they focus on smaller parcels, but are equally as valuable, like the, the new Bad Rock Wildlife Management Area near Columbia Falls. That was the Flathead Land Trust as, as the energy and the land trust that galvanized that project. And the North Shore of Flathead Lake, the Summer State Beach, was the Flathead Land Trust. So they're one of our members, too. Those are local examples here in the Flathead Valley, going all the way up to the larger groups like TPL, Trust for Public Lands, conserving the former timberlands. And I remember when you were at Fishwater Parks, you were really into the land agreements because you said those are the things that are going to just go on in perpetuity. Those are the best thing we can leave, right? Yeah, when we're, when we're all gone, those land projects hopefully will still be here. <laughs> are we going to be gone? I didn't know that. Ultimately, yes. <laughs> so we talked about Keep It Connected. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Heart of the Rockies has a really creative, innovative program. And in my 30 years in conservation, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, the, the closest thing would be Habitat Montana when that was created at, 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 in the state of Montana for FWP. Keep It Connected, the foundations that fund it actually really enjoy it. Heart of the Rockies maintains a profile from each one of its 27 members. Each land trust organization gets to submit one project. And if it fits in a connectivity model, it's a resistance model to keep populations connected and, and it's species agnostic. It's, it's more of a resistance and open space model. You know, if you think about connecting the Northern Continental Divide to the Bitterroot, to the Yellowstone and islands of public land, the spaces between, there's a model. If a land trust has a project that meets a connectivity definition, it goes into a portfolio and foundations like the Liz Claiborne Art Ortenberg Foundation or Candida Fund uh, can, can go on a private website and shop. And what, what it allows them to do, each land trust puts the amount of money needed left to close the deal. And these foundations can close that deal for them. And we call that program Keep It Connected. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's keeping uh, producers on the land, not only for local communities to produce food, 
but the obvious fish and wildlife benefits, right? So how does the Montana Association of Land Trusts fit in all this? You know, our good friend yeah, Glenn Marks was Glenn the Marks. director yeah. of that. He's recently retired. But how does that fit into the Trust for Public Lands and yep. all the other? Great question. So the Heart of the Rockies initiative essentially uh, was one of the major players in creating the Montana Association of Land Trusts. And when Paul Seeler was the first executive director, he was our old supervisor at FWP for a while, he found Glenn Marks when he worked for the Roscoe administration. <laughs> and, and Glenn was the perfect person to start the Montana Association of Land Trusts. Let me tell you a little story about Glenn and uh, Paul. So Glenn and I had this relationship where we went at least, you know, once a year we went to Ohio Mountain Lake, usually down the Swan. Yep. And the first time, one of the first times, we took along Paul Seeler. So we went into Fatty Lake, right? So we hike in there, we finally get there, and we're sitting down, and we're getting ready to fish. We go, what's that smell? Holy cow, what is that smell? And it turns out that there was a dead animal up there. Uh-oh. And it smelled up the entire lake. <laughs> so we fished a little and hiked out. So it wasn't a very good example of the Mission Mountains, but yeah. I just remember that those two were, you know, that, yeah, was, yeah. that was in the 80s. That was like yeah. in the late 80s. Probably, but. yeah, yeah. So what about the uh, carnivore conflict reduction? How does that work with this? Because, you know, each species is is using the land corridors a little differently. Yeah, so so Heart of the Rockies, I have three supervisors, they're managing directors. Gary Burnett, you know, he's Blackfoot Challenge, you know, before he came mm-hmm. of, of that fame, and he's kind of the king of collaboration in my mind. Mm-hmm. And Joanne Grant and Callie Hannon, they recognize right away that supporting these landowner-led coalitions like the Centennial mm-hmm. Valley Association, the Big Hole Watershed, the Blackfoot Challenge, these locally-led groups were critical to conservation in, on the, in these private land areas. So they are working very closely with other NGOs to provide tools like range riders, electric fencing, composting of uh, carcasses that are picked up at different times of the year, carcass management. They're called non-lethal tools for carnivore management. And so with the recovery of grizzly bears in the core recovery areas with wolf population that uh, is, is recovered in Montana as well, there's a cost to producers. They lose livestock either directly through predation or indirectly and lose weight and stress-related losses. So so these carnivore conflict reduction tools, mm-hmm. like a range rider, that's like, a, think about a Basque sheep herder, right? It, mm-hmm. that, that was the original range rider concept of the model. It's more of a conservation technician now. Or produce electric fencing, which, John, you were involved with at FWP to keep bears out of a beehive. Well, remember, you when you went to South America, you were working with the gauchos who were very yeah. similar. Right? Yeah, exactly, protecting the sheep. They used dogs down there. So these carnivore conflict reduction tools are one of the programs we have to work with other other partners to provide producers those tools to help keep them on the landscape. Their margins are thin. We we want producers on the land not only for fish and wildlife, but to produce food, right? And and provide that critical open space. So in the moment we have left, tell us about the High Divide project. Yeah, lastly, the High Divide is the area between the Greater Yellowstone, the Bitterroot, and the Northern Continental Divide, the Bob Marshall Glacier System. And those, it straddles both Idaho and Wyoming. And Emily Harkness is our High Divide coordinator at Heart of the Rockies. And she essentially steers and gathers and guides about 10, 11, 12, I'm not sure, landowner-led groups. And they meet and coordinate on everything from water to carnivore conflict issues to land conservation. Whatever the producers and the and the local conservation organizations are interested in. But it's a collaborative communication forum and a really unique collaboration for an area that's critical that connects three giant ecosystems. 
Hey, Jim, I know we've thrown a lot of uh, information at folks out there and so much you're working on. We're so proud of you and all the folks that are working on this. Now, if somebody has a good idea for a land conservation project, can they just maybe call Fish, Wildlife, and Parks and ask to ask to be connected to the land person? Yeah, you're, you go to your local land trust or to your local fish and wildlife agency. Absolutely. And uh, there, there's a, a whole bunch of tools out there for estate planning. And, and if you think about it, it's your private property. One of the most critical private property rights is what to do with your land. Whether you want a golf course there or a neighborhood or whether you want to do long-term planning with a conservation easement, it's an important property right. Well, Jim, thanks a lot for coming on and keep up the great work. Absolutely. Anytime, John. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this episode of the FBCC Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fraley, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.